a part of you that just wants to give up after a growing season like this? Um, no, not yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see what's <laughs> next. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was explaining uh, to uh, to Ali the other day and Sarah the uh, concept of that we still have we still have to have hope. And I guess as I look to the future, I try to be optimistic and and hopeful. I think that there is. There is still a lot we can do. I think we need to be um, we need to be operating in ways that mitigate some of these effects of climate change. Absolutely, that needs to be a priority. Um, and, but I think that we're and I think that we're we're able to do that through things like regenerative agriculture, and that's why this is so important right now because we're all facing this challenge together. I'm Derek Leahy, host of the Rural Roots to Climate Solutions podcast. 2023 was a challenging year for Canadian farmers and ranchers and for humanity in general. We had droughts, wildfires, floods, an affordability crisis, and a number of armed conflicts. According to scientists working with the European Union, 2023 smashed global temperature records. And yet someone like Nova Scotia agriculture producer Rachel Lightfoot still finds ways of being hopeful, of being optimistic, even after her farm got hit by a polar vortex, a dry spring, and a very rainy summer, all in the exact same year. And uh, one of the things that I did learn from my, my great-grandmother is, is uh, you know, it's important to count your blessings. It's something that she said all the time. and. Um, I feel that she really helped us to have a positive outlook, outlook, try to remain optimistic. And there are signs of, of hope even when it is tough. You know, there, if, you, if you're looking for it, there are, there are signs everywhere. And um, I think, you know, it's important for us to come together and uh, find ways to kind of help mitigate some of these challenges that we're experiencing. And we're really fortunate to be part of a a broader community where we're able to do that, and that certainly uh, certainly helps when it feels, you know, overwhelming. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, in partnership with Regeneration Canada, presents Stories of Regeneration, a podcast series exploring why we, as a society, need to get behind the farmers and ranchers who are regenerating the land, ecosystems, and local economies through their agricultural principles and practices. Farmers and ranchers who are striving for great things through regenerative agriculture. Part 5, Connecting People to Place, with Rachel Lightfoot of Lightfoot and Wolfville and Wolfville, Nova Scotia, July 18th, 2023. My name is uh, Rachel Lightfoot. I live in Wolfville, Nova Scotia, and I work for Lightfoot and Wolfville Vineyards, which is uh, my family's uh, farm winery. Uh, I would be my sisters and I would be the fourth generation Lightfoots to farm here, and uh, I work for the winery full time. Um, the unique thing about the wine industry, it's very much agriculture. Of course, we are making an agricultural product, growing grapes, making wine, but there are so many other aspects that would be probably considered off-farm off aspects. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, I am also involved in the the brand management, you know, communication. I manage our, our website, content, social media, work with our label designer when we have a new product coming out to kind of uh, come up with packaging that fits and tells the story and matches the the product. One of my favorite parts of my role is getting to meet people and share mm. the product and connect. So I'm doing that here in Nova Scotia at the winery itself and also get to do a bit of travel um, outside of the province and sometimes the country to help tell the story of Nova Scotia wine and show that we are making quality wines here. So that's a great aspect. We also have a hospitality program on site at the winery. So we're um, we have a tasting room as well as a restaurant and event venue. So I'm working pretty closely with our management team here in kind of a day-to-day operations role to make sure those teams are supported. And um, one of my favorite roles here at the winery with the hospitality team is a bit of an educational role. So helping to make sure that they're comfortable telling the, the stories of the products and where you know where they were grown and, and come from. Every day is a little bit um, different. There's definitely lots of different elements and it's very dynamic in that way which is something that I really enjoy it's it's far from uh, far from monotonous one could even say it is biodynamic uh, yeah I, I promise that'll make way more sense if you keep listening to this episode a very belated happy new year to everyone listening to this right now and welcome back to the stories of regeneration podcast series I'm actually pretty excited we're restarting the series after the Christmas break with this interview and this episode because Lightfoot and Wolfville in Wolfville, Nova Scotia is where our journey with this podcast series began. In some ways, it's where the overall Stories of Regeneration project began. You got to keep in mind that Stories of Regeneration is so much more than a podcast series. It's a multimedia project that began in 2023, shining a spotlight on regenerative agriculture producers in Canada. And part of that project is, yeah, this podcast series, but there's also a video series to go with it, along with a series of articles, a webinar series, and over the growing season of 2023, uh, about a handful of farm-to-table dinners were hosted on various farms and ranches. And if memory serves me correctly, the very first farm-to-table dinner was actually at Famter Patage in Rogersville, New Brunswick, with Rebecca Fraser-Chesson and everyone who's involved in that farming operation. If you remember, that one is actually a co-op. Uh, we heard from Rebecca in part four of our series. The Lightfoot in Wolfville was a few firsts for our podcast. One, we've actually never had somebody working in viticulture on the podcast before. That is to say, we have never had someone who grows and processes grapes for wine on the podcast before. The Rural Roots to Climate Solutions podcast focuses on the land management practices and farm technology that are good for the farm, good for the climate, and a great fit for Alberta. So very rarely do we wander outside of Alberta modes of agricultural production. We tend to talk a lot of cattle, grain, and renewable energy on this podcast. We've never covered grapes or wine before. Oddly enough, because of this series, we actually wound up having two viticulturalists on the podcast. We'll hear from the second one, Aaron Goodhart of Snowy Mountain Farms in Coston, British Columbia, a little later in the series. So that was the 
first first. The second first, as confusing as that sounds, I, it was the first time I had been to the East Coast. I never made it that far east before, which in case you're wondering, the East Coast is absolutely beautiful. Here's Rachel talking about the place where she farms and the different types of agriculture products they produce. It's not just about wine at Lightfoot and Wolfville. Yeah, so we are located in the Annapolis Valley of Nova Scotia. So what's really quite striking here, I guess, is the proximity to the, the Bay of Fundy. So both of our vineyard sites, you, you can um, see the Minas Basin. We're in very close proximity to that body of water. So the Bay of Fundy is famous for having the world's highest tides so up to 16 meters or 50 feet in some places so as you could imagine with that tidal change we're having uh we're, we're feeling that here and so that's really what moderates our our growing environment and um, in terms of the wine styles that we're able to produce and what we're able to grow here we're very much influenced by that special force and that really powerful bay of fundy the valley itself is relatively long and fairly narrow narrow it's mm -hmm. surrounded by two parallel mountain ranges and the soils here this site in particular is uh, there's a lot of glacial till um, sandy loam the region itself was is has quite an agricultural history um apples were um, certainly a prominent crop that was mm. grown here um for for many years and still today um the annapolis valley is sort of the the main agricultural hub of of our province and uh yeah certainly lots of, of farming uh, in this in this region well let's talk about the different types of farming that you have going on here like it's it's not just about grapes as i've learned today <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely so um we are a farm winery of course we're farming uh, 40 acres of grapevines for wine production right. um, but we are a an organic biodynamic farm and so we are also farming um, animals and uh, so livestock and um, we're looking at the vineyard as a bit of an ecosystem if you will it's its own kind of living organism and so part of that is farming the soil of course and the animals play uh, an important role in that so we have cattle sheep pigs um, they all have their own kind of unique roles within our farm ecosystem but the whole idea is to be as self sustaining self-sufficient as possible um, so some examples of that the animal manures would be our main source of fertility for the vineyard so we're composting the manures that are generated on site and putting that back into the into the soil to create a, a healthier living soil the the pigs for example they are living in the forest area around the vineyard so they're helping to root out brush and that helps to create better airflow around the vines. So there's all these unique inter kind of connections going on within the farm ecosystem. Those are the main, uh, the main uh, livestock within this kind of whole farm uh, cycle that we have going on. We also are growing vegetables um, oh, okay. for our restaurant here yeah. on site. So yeah. part of our philosophy at the winery is, I guess you could say farm to table. So we are producing uh, meats for the restaurant, so our own beef, pork, lamb. Um, we're also growing herbs on site, so basil. The pizzas we had earlier would have been, you know, herbs that we grew. Which grew were here. delicious, by the way. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> here on site, 
Um, so we're also growing some lettuces and tomatoes. I don't know about you, but I've lived most of my life pretty landlocked. Didn't matter if I was living in Ontario, Europe, or Alberta. I haven't spent much time living by coasts. Anyway, all this is to say is I just think there's something quite magical about places like the Bay of Fundy that have these massive tides. There's also something just mind-boggling about the color of the soil where Rachel farms. It has this amazing rust red color to it. And the whole day that we're at Rachel's place, I found myself quite frequently just grabbing a handful of soil, staring at it and thinking to myself, you can actually grow food in this stuff? And uh, spoiler alert, you most certainly can. Given the style that we produce here in Nova Scotia, our wines are fairly um, light, moderate, low alcohol. They have beautiful natural acidity, Mm. very crisp acidity. And so they're very much food wines. Very great um, to have. I think the best expression of our wines is with alongside food. And so here um, we're so fortunate to be able to pair, you know, wines grown here with ingredients from, from this place for the full kind of exploration of uh, full taste of place if you will very cool okay and actually like um i have to admit i know nothing about wine i'm more of a beer drinker than a wine drinker so like are there some wines that are like typical to your farm or the area that somebody like me who barely ever buys wine wouldn't know of yeah so what we're known for here in nova scotia um, wine style wise would be sparkling wines are the are one of the main um, focus points and the style that um, we can produce consistently at a very high quality level regardless of the growing season. So um, sparkling wines in the style of um, the champagne method. Mm -hmm. So same method, uh, methodology as the champagne region in France. Of course, we can't call them champagnes. They're sparkling wines. But really... um, really high quality and that all goes back to our growing environment here and all the climatic factors that come together to uh, give us our our set of growing conditions so sparkling wines um, and the other main style would be aromatic whites we have a an appellation wine here called tidal bay Mm -hmm. so it's named after the the bay of fundy the tidal influence that we talked about and um, that's a crisp white blend, uh, nice and fresh, very bright, crisp, uh, low alcohol, really great pairing with uh, seafood, which of course the, the region is quite well known for. Okay. Um, so those are the main, the main uh, focus points of Nova Scotia. We do make red wines and rosé as well. Just another question popped in my head, and I don't know if it's fair to ask a somebody who runs a vineyard this question and i know you also have to do a lot of marketing to move your product but mm-hmm. can i ask you what your favorite wine is oh yeah <laughs> yes so my favorite wine sometimes i say it's it's hard to to pick fa- favorites you know like they're we, i love them all for different reasons and okay. i think depending on the the day and my mood and what i'm eating it might be a different answer of course but okay. i would say like day and day oh it would probably be our brute which is a sparkling wine ours is 100 chardonnay which is pr- probably my favorite grape here in this in our that we grow anyway on 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 our vineyards and uh yeah it's just so good so refreshing and 
Yeah, but they're they're all like I said, it kind of depends on on the day. As I mentioned earlier, heading out to Lightfoot and Wolfville was a few firsts for our podcast and for myself. Uh, another first, so I guess this would be the third first, and, and this one I found to be a very cool opportunity for our podcast, and it was that we've just never covered biodynamic agriculture in the podcast before. Now, to be fair, Carstairs agriculture producer Chris Vester has been on the podcast, and he is a certified biodynamic agriculture producer. The thing is, he was on the podcast about a million years ago, and he didn't, or we didn't ask him to explicitly talk about biodynamics in that episode. That episode was more about adapting agriculture practices to a changing climate. Well worth a listen. I think it's probably one of the first like producer panel-esque podcast episodes we've ever done. Anyways, just trying to say I was pretty pumped to find out that we're finally going to explore biodynamics in the podcast. Biodynamic agriculture, it's a, a form of regenerative agriculture and a form of organic agriculture. And I like to describe it as um, a bit of a, a philosophy, a way of kind of looking at your farm in a very holistic way. So at the core of biodynamics is the concept of the farm individuality. Mm-hmm. So it's looking at your farm as uh, a whole kind of living organism. So it's its own being, if you will. And there's this belief that there are many interconnections between all of the different elements within. So the plants, the animals, the people. And the whole idea behind biodynamics is that your farm will be the healthiest if you are able to kind of sustain it in harmony with nature and uh, with as little inputs as possible. So if we're able to, you know, produce the fertility for the plants on the farm with the animals, then it will be the healthiest that it it can be. And uh, it started in in, um, just after the First World War in Europe. That's kind of the the origins. Uh, And it was a time where petrochemicals uh, were being used in agriculture for the first time, so synthetic fertilizers, and farmers were noticing that their soils were not as healthy as they once were. They were declining in terms of the overall vitality. Their crops weren't storing um, quite as well as they used to. Uh. And so there was a person by the name of Rudolf Steiner who gave a series of lectures that formed the basis of the biodynamic movement today. There are some practices that are very similar to organic, so no, no synthetic fertilizers, no chemical-based uh, herbicides, fungicides, and then there's a few practices that biodynamics, biodynamic farmers would um, employ, uh, such as the biodynamic preparations. Uh-huh. So these are sort of natural treatments that we're using to all really centered around soil health. So soil health is a big focus of of biodynamic agriculture. The the preparations themselves consist of animal manures, minerals, and healing plants. So things like chamomile, valerian, dandelion even. Uh, So those are added to the compost, all kind of under the theme of increasing soil health. So that is a a central through through line um, with biodynamics. And for us, it, uh, I really believe it helps with that, that quest to produce healthier soil of course healthier plants and then ultimately better quality wines as a result that 
share that sense of place that we were we were talking about okay cool thanks for the explanation so yeah for regenerative agriculture i'm curious can you remember the first time you heard about regenerative agriculture I was, one of the first times maybe yeah. yeah i don't exactly remember um i was i was trying to think back and yeah. you know i first heard about regeneration canada through uh our friends at southbrook vineyards in okay. niagara um so they also practice biodynamic viticulture and they kind of introduced us to what regeneration canada was doing and i remember looking into the principles this was a few years ago now and um and seeing the parallels with biodynamics and and some of the regenerative principles that that regeneration canada was focused on and um, i i don't know if that was around the first first time but okay in the wine world right now certainly regenerative viticulture is becoming talked about a lot more over the last few years which is great to see um reading a book right now uh dr jamie good who's a very influential wine writer from the uk um has has written called regenerative viticulture and it's kind of applying regenerative agriculture to to viticulture and uh so we're seeing it more more and more um over the last few years so i don't know exactly when but um yeah it's it's great to see more more producers um talking about these topics and really focused on soil health on uh, mitigating uh or farming more sustainably in a, a true true sustainable way okay well that makes a lot of sense maybe yeah maybe we can ask the question in a different way was, was there ever a time you even considered just being like a sorry just isn't a nice word to use <laughs> but uh considered being a conventional farmer as opposed to a regenerative farmer or a biodynamic farmer that ever cross your mind or you were always on the regenerative path do you think yeah i think um for me where i sort of started my career uh with the vineyard and we were farming organically from the outset of the vineyard mm. um so i really started that way and didn't really have didn't really think to do anything else and i feel very fortunate to be involved in organic agriculture i think that we have a responsibility as uh you know a society to to operate in ways that are more sustainable moving uh, forward i think the state of uh the climate is it, it's uh we need to just do better um and whether that's organic or regenerative or or what it is i think that yeah for me it just makes sense it's just it's the way that we need to move forward is being mindful of our practices and that we're farming responsibly as possible. Like New Brunswick agriculture producer Rebecca Fraser-Chesson, who we heard from in the previous episode, and BC agriculture producer Aaron Goodard, who we'll hear from just a little bit later in the series. Rachel is one of those agriculture producers who we interviewed for the Stories of Regeneration series, who for them, farming or ranching regeneratively is all they've ever known, even if they weren't calling it regenerative agriculture when they first started. Now, this is a contrast to the first three agriculture producers we heard from in the series. So Ryan Boyd in Manitoba, the Axtons of Saskatchewan, and Blake Vince in southwestern Ontario. 
all of these individuals had transitioned from conventional agriculture to regenerative agriculture. If you remember what I said at the end of part three with Blake Vince of Block Hare Farms in southwestern Ontario, if the Stories of Regeneration series was a book or a book series, book one would be the first three parts and book two, we're right in the middle of it right now. Book three is what we're going to use to wrap up the series. I'll let you know a little bit more about the overriding theme of book three as we get closer to the end of book two. I just feel I wouldn't be doing my job right as a podcast host if I didn't build just a little bit of suspense. As Rachel rightly pointed out, biodynamic agriculture has a lot in common with regenerative agriculture. There's a similar emphasis on biodiversity, soil health, integrating livestock, animal welfare, and reducing the use of synthetic inputs in biodynamics. You could argue that one thing that makes biodynamics unique among all the different Western agricultural systems is that it sits at this interesting nexus of science, philosophy, and spirituality. In fact, the whole biodynamic movement was kicked off by an Austrian scientist and philosopher named Rudolf Steiner in a lecture series he delivered in 1924, which was just a year before he passed away. To be fair, it was actually a group of agriculture producers who approached Steiner. Uh, these producers would have been from what was then Germany. They approached Steiner with their concerns about the increasing mechanization of agriculture and the beginnings of chemical fertilizers in agriculture and how that was having an impact on the soil, their main concern being soil degradation. Raising these concerns, the Steiner then spurred on an eight-part lecture series, which he went on to deliver. I bet that lecture series would have made one heck of a podcast series had it been done in this century. But that underlying concept to biodynamic agriculture is that a farmer ranch is alive like anything else. It's a living organism supported or degraded by everything that interacts with it. So people, other animals, pasture, market gardens, even its own spirit. And by working with all these elements, agriculture producers can steward and maintain resilient farms and ranches. Here's how Rachel's family farm got started. My, uh, my it would have been my great-grandmother who was farming here. She would have been the first generation. And um, her name was Evelyn Rose Lightfoot. She was quite an inspiration to, to all of us, for sure. She's definitely an inspiration to me. She was a very... Uh, independent woman. She was divorced in the 60s, so that was before that was a super common thing to do. And she continued to live here and farm um, on her own with her brother. And she had sort of a, a smaller kind of mixed farm. Um, apple Apples were one of the main kind of commodities that they focused on during that generation. Of course, there's been different iterations over over the different generations. And really just trying to sustain the, the land and agriculture and, and survive through the different evolutions, I guess you could say. And uh, my dad, he grew up in town, but he spent a lot of time here with my great-grandmother, so his grandmother, and uh, he was very inspired um, by her as well and, uh, and then decided to kind of carry on and become a farmer at a fairly young age. 
Oh, the way, the way your dad was talking about her earlier, and I hope your family's not going to be offended by me or by me saying this. That she, she just sounded like she was a total badass. She sounded really She was cool. a badass yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, she was. She was very, uh, very fierce. She, yeah, she was. She was really quite special. And uh, yeah, we were all. I was very lucky to have her influence in my life. She because she lived so late in life I, I got to spend a lot of time with her and kind of learn from her which was which was really really cool and then her son my grandfather um, Donnie also another um, inspiration he worked off of the farm he was a barber in town for over 60 years oh, believe wow. it or not yeah so he I think the part of the love of people and connecting people definitely comes down through him he definitely loved uh loved that like connecting with people hearing their stories and um he he uh luckily his last few years he got to spend here at the winery and see see people every day and he would uh he had a little little scooter at the end and he would scoot in and just roll up to people <laughs> and uh and and have the greatest chats so yeah, he, he worked, you know, on, on the farm, but also off the farm as well. You've probably pieced it together by this point, but each episode in the Stories of Regeneration series is meant to spotlight a principle of regenerative agriculture. It seems only fitting for a farm that practices biodynamic agriculture that the principle we're looking at in this episode is reciprocity within both natural and human ecosystems. Since, well, you know, it's pretty important biodynamics to generate what the farm needs for soil health, seeds, and pest management on farm. Again, there's that closed loop system we talked about in part four. If you're curious, biodynamics also has its own set of principles and they have a lot in common with the regen egg principles. And as we mentioned earlier in the series, regenerative agriculture is a big enough tent for a whole bunch of different ways of farming and ranching to fit into or to fit under. Reciprocity between natural and human ecosystems means making sure whatever we take in when we're producing foods, fibers, fuels, and medicine is given back. By providing plants with macro and micronutrients through organic inputs, we can restore the soil's biological nutrient cycling abilities. Green manures, composts, animal manure are all great examples of organic materials that enhance the biological functions of soils. Part of embracing this principle is recognizing natural materials should be used instead of synthetics whenever possible. Here's Rachel explaining how this reciprocity works on her farm. Yeah, so they are, you know, producing a crop, of course, every year. And um, so that is, is taking nutrition out of the soil. And so if we want to kind of continue building the soil, we need to be mindful that we're not taking more than we're giving. So it's all a balance of making sure that we're um, giving back to the soil what we're, you know, what we're taking out. And um, practices such as you know, cover cropping and composting are helping us to, to do that, to give back to the soil and feed the soil, make sure that it is um, alive. Of course, uh, there's a whole world of life happening yeah. in the soil um, in terms of the microbiology, and that's so important um, as it relates to 
vine health and plant health and ultimately to wine quality as well. Okay, okay. Definitely ask you about that when we talk about those other benefits when it comes to healthy soil and the practices. But yeah, let's, let's talk about those practices. So yeah, again, I'm familiar with cover cropping on like out in the prairies, composting, I don't know a little bit about, but yeah, I'm just curious if you can explain when you implement these practices. Like, do you put a cover crop in a certain time of year? Uh, for what purpose, et cetera, et cetera. Just sort of how do your practices feed the soil and keep the soil healthy here and how you go about doing it? Yeah, so for us, we're, we're um, keeping the soil covered in the, you know, in the middle of the row uh, as much as possible. So we are kind of keeping a crop there all the time. We have kind of a clover, many grasses. Um, so, you know, when those are mowed, and they become a mulch that's kind of breaking down and going into the soil or you know um, in our case we're, we're using sheep to do that um, mm. for part of the season so the sheep for example would enter the vineyard early in the year so before bud break mm-hmm. um, and at that time we have a lot of early weeds coming up um, our cover crop that's between the rows or our uh, grass cover is starting to be of the the size where they can can graze and so they're leaving their their manure uh, as they go so that's helping with uh, fertilization Late, then we have to uh, you know move the sheep out of the vineyard for uh, the canopy to form yeah. and then they go back in later in the season and they actually uh, help us with removing leaves around the fruit zone um, at that time so that's one of the practices that that we're using the biodynamic preparations this this is the time of year early in the season where we would be applying uh, for example the cow horn manure prep which is a a soil um, spray that we mix in water and that's being applied directly to the soil to help with soil health, soil vitality. Um, so that happens early in the in the season. Just going to jump in here quickly to explain what cow horn manure preparation is. First of all, as Rachel said, it's a spray to feed the soil. The unique twist to it is that the manure is placed inside a cow horn and buried over winter, and then it's turned into a spray the following year or the following growing season. I would love to find a study comparing the potency of just normal manure with manure that spent an entire winter hanging out with the vast soil microbial community that we talked about in part three of our series. Another principle in regenerative agriculture that we've talked about in this series already is integrating livestock. And it's usually to get nutrients via livestock manure and urine back into the soil. I like how Rachel does that, but she also uses her sheep to prune the grapevines. Yeah, and then compost, it it depends on the year. Uh, So we're constantly sort of forming our compost pile. So that's being made up of uh, animal manure. So every time we're cleaning out our our barn after winter, for example, we'll have straw, um, a mix of cow manure, sheep manure, and um, so we're, we're composting that, adding the, the biodynamic preparations. Um, so some of those herb, herbal kind of preparations that we talked about to the compost, which help to make sure the pH of the pile is right, make sure that it's degrading properly. Um, and that can be applied de- depending on when the soil 
needs it. So we are doing soil testing to check in on our organic matter. And um, for us, where we are growing wine grapes, are some of our soils tend to be um, at times a bit too fertile. So we have to be careful to keep keep things balanced to make sure that um, we're applying compost as it's needed and not overdoing it or having you know too much nitrogen in the soil. So how often do you have to test your soil then? Um, generally, we are at least once a year, sometimes twice a year, okay. um, checking back in and seeing, um, you know, how, how things are going. Um, here, we have one block um, on our home farm vineyard that is a bit rockier than than the other sites, and so that needs more uh, more soil amendment, uh, more composting in that in that area, more compost applications in that area to. Um, because the organic matter is, is naturally lower. Mm. Um, it really depends on, on the site and on the soil structure itself, how often we need to be, um, you know, adding those practices. Okay, so yeah, for practices, you know, we, we talked about like, you know, integrating livestock, get some fertility and also do some weed management apparently. So adding compost, those biodynamic preparations, any other... Oh, cover crops, that's another one we could talk yes. about too. Yeah. So, you know, another big focus for us would be promoting biodiversity within our farm organism or the ecosystem around the vineyard. So okay. biodynamic producers, you know, a, a, a vineyard is inherently a, a monoculture. Uh, with biodynamics, we're looking to create as much kind of life and uh, biodiversity around the vineyard as possible. So the cover crops part of that, it's um, providing a habitat for beneficial insects. And um, here around the vineyard, we're leaving, you know, some like forest area that is a great habitat for wildlife. We're seeing, you know, eagles and hawks and all kinds of, you know, raccoons and all types of, uh, all different types of wildlife that help to show that the ecosystem is in, in balance, which is really important. A more kind of diverse uh, system hopefully will be a, a healthier one and have more resilience inherently. Um, so that's important for us. Planting pollinator plants around. Um, so the gardens kind of surrounding is a, another um, kind of step that we take to, uh, you know, ensure that we're promoting as much insect um, diversity as possible also. Now there's a certain, and I, I suppose we'll probably address this in a couple other questions as well, but like uh, a connection between the humans that interact with this place in the natural world and the idea, and I, I think this kind of goes back to your holistic approach anyways, like these things mm -hmm. should be interacting with each other. So uh, like reciprocity is probably a good word to use there. So what is this like reciprocal exchange that you're trying to get going on here between human beings? Not to say human beings aren't part of the natural world, but sometimes we do a really bad job fitting into the natural world. So what does that exchange look like between us and I guess everything that's wild around us. Yeah, I think that um, you know we try to keep in mind that we are are part of are part of that natural world as humans and people play a role in that. You know the role that we play in terroir uh, exploration or um, expression. So we are very much a part of that. I think our modern society today we've become disconnected to 
um, nature, unfortunately, in a, in a lot of ways. And biodynamics, especially, there's a bit of, with biodynamics, we pay attention to the way that Earth is influenced by the, co- the cosmos, so the cosmic forces and the, the moon. We know that as humans, we are influenced by, uh, by that, but we as a society have become in some ways disconnected from it uh, more so than earlier cultures and were. And so that's something that I feel like these farming practices really help us to become more um, aware of and more connected to is, you know, the, the influence that we have on the natural world and also that the natural world has, has on us. The biodynamic calendar is something I've always found quite intriguing. And I'd love to use it sometime in the limited farming that I still do these days. The idea with the calendar is that the cycles of the moon and the movement and positioning of the planets and constellations will actually determine the best times to cultivate, to seed, to harvest, etc. By timing it right, the thought in biodynamics is an agriculture producer's being strategic strategically tapping into the effects the moon, sun, and planets have on what you're growing and what you're producing. If you think of it, it actually takes that that really important principle in regenerative agriculture. So understanding the context you're farming or ranching in, it takes that principle to a whole other level since it's factoring in the moon, the planets, and constellations. Resilience is one of the benefits of Rachel's agriculture practices that we get into in this next section. The connection between on-farm or on-ranch diversity and resilience came up a few times in my interview with Rachel. In fact, it's something we'll be exploring in more detail with BC agriculture producer Aaron Goodard later on in this series. One of the ways that the cover crops is helping the soil is with moisture retention. Mm. So it's helping to, um, like during dry periods, it's bringing uh, moisture to the soil. Uh, in addition to the the microbe activity, so that's a big uh, another big aspect for us of why we would do that. It also helps to prevent soil erosion, uh, which is really important, especially in our Avonport site that's quite sloped. We're on quite a, a slopey site site there, right. so helping to prevent uh, you know, erosion of the soil is is critical. Um, and yeah, moisture would be another big benefit of of having a cover crop in the vineyard. Okay. Um, what? Yeah, actually, what are some of the other benefits of the practices that you guys use here? So obviously, we've made a pretty strong case that it helps the soil health. Mm. You're mentioning moisture retention. Like, What are some other like on-farm benefits, if I can call it that, to the practices you've chosen to use here? Well, we think this year, like in as we discussed after the, the polar vortex event mm. that we had, the vineyard is in recovery mode at the moment. Our vines definitely uh, went through a stressful event, and so our canopy growth looks different this year than it normally would. Um, but one thing we are finding is uh, I think there is an overall resiliency. It seems that the sites that we are farming this way seem to have just an overall plant health seems to be flourishing a bit a bit more than you might expect um, with some of the varieties that we're growing, uh, especially the cold sensitive vinifera varieties 
Chardonnay, Riesling, for example, here on this site. Mm-hmm. We're seeing them bounce back in a way that we wouldn't have expected considering the, the stress of the, the winter event that they went through. Mm-hmm. So I think an overall resiliency is, is one of the main um, benefits or overall kind of health immunity. In terms of the rest of the property, I think uh, definitely seeing a lot of life um, so today when we were out walking the vineyard, you could see lots of insect life, lots of pollinators uh, there. I think that, you know, the ecosystem feels very much um, alive, and that's really what we want to, to see. How actually does pollination work with grapevines? I, I don't have a clue. I didn't, I didn't see any flowers so, out there, but obviously it's a little late in the season. But yeah. Grapevines are actually uh, self-pollinating. Oh. So we don't actually need the, the pollinators for the vineyard per se. Okay. Um, so it's more about the, the broader ecosystem and the other plants that are within it. Uh, so yeah, the, the vineyard itself is not a, is not a, it's a self-pollinating. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Any other benefits you can think of for the farm with the practices you folks have chosen to use? I think farming regeneratively helps with the end product quality. So, mm. you know, we were chatting about wine wine quality and helping to transfer the sense of place or, or a somewhereness in the wines. And I really believe that farming this way really helps us to do that. Do you also feel like farming this way, it's like you're doing your bit to address climate change too? Because I'm assuming like without those chemical inputs that some of the other conventional farmers are using around here, probably the the carbon footprint of your farm is not as high as some places, presumably. Yeah, um, yeah. We we hope to um, be doing our part um, in the in the ways that we can, the actions that we can take to be mitigating um, climate change, to have a lighter carbon footprint. We're actually looking to sort of calculate um, that. That's a, a future project that we're we're hoping to. Um, work on is to actually calculate what that is and how we can be reducing it even further you know through practices such as waste management we talked about the the livestock waste but we also have um, for example after harvest our pumice so our our grape skins that we press for wine normally that would be a waste product that we are adding to our compost so through more practices such as that if we can find loops where things that would normally be be considered waste, we're able to actually create um, something beneficial out of them, uh, trying to find more streams like that on, on the farm. Okay, oh, sounds like you guys got a pretty closed loop system there. Yeah, that's the goal. Any benefits that go beyond the farm? So we talked about some like ones that directly impact the farm mm. and you know, some that could impact climate change, but I don't know, maybe some benefits that talk to like community or the human side, or even if you want to loop it back to the taste again. But I'm just curious if there's any benefits to the practices uh, you've chosen to use that go beyond the farm itself. Yeah, I think uh, the community aspect for us is huge. So it's very exciting to see lots of folks who are becoming more interested in, you know, what they're eating and as well as what they're drinking and where that's coming from and the ways in which it's made. And so we're really fortunate to have um, the ability here to connect with consumers directly and talk to them about the practices, why it's important, and um, 
hopefully inspire them to uh, you know, reach for products that are made organically. And we're, we're really fortunate to have a very supportive local community that seems to be very um, engaged in that. So we're, we're able to, you know, through events here, kind of build that, build that sense of community around that, do some education through our, our team. Uh, um, that's a, another big avenue for us to be able to kind of spread awareness around, you know, farming and, and viticulture. I think also we're mindful that we are part of a broader community and neighborhood. We have folks living very close to us, not only our own family, but we have neighbors here nearby. Um, we just opened a, a trail through the vineyard um, that connects to the, lo- the the Harvest Moon Trailway. So I think providing a, a safe space for, for people to enjoy nature, uh, as well as uh, you know connect with the, the wines and the food that we produce, they're also able to uh, enjoy the the beautiful natural um, outdoors that we we have in such abundance here in Nova Scotia. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't know too many agriculture producers that share their land like that. Like, come here, walk around. I actually was walking on that path earlier. It's really yeah. nice. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, it's a, a peaceful spot for sure. Totally. Yeah, and the yeah. sheep are down there too, so it's nice to see the sheep. Yes, they are. <laughs> they are there. Yeah, yeah. they're pretty yeah. cute. Oh, one actually thing I was wondering. So they. It, it sounded like it was a recent thing that certain like restaurants across Canada are starting to carry your wine. Mm-hmm. Do you think that has anything to do with your practices and what you folks are trying to build here? Yeah. And the fact that your wine is obviously stellar and tastes really great. So. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Yeah, definitely. I think that within the restaurant community, uh, as well as the wine professional community, there is a just like the rest of um, society, a growing kind of uh, awareness of how things are being produced. And um, we here, you know, we have restaurants approach us because we are farming organically, biodynamically, and um, they, like us, are finding that their customers are are asking and caring about these things. So I definitely think that that uh, is is helping us to to market our wines as well. So we were talking about reciprocity a little bit earlier. Uh, apparently, some of that reciprocity involves learning, I've heard, and it's learning from livestock. So I'm really curious. That, I think there's a story here you might be able to share. Yeah, so I'm fortunate to work closely with our, our flock of sheep that we have here. With that, there's a real seasonal rhythm to my work with them. So, you know, they have uh, seasons just like the vineyard has seasons and uh, most of the other things that we do are, are very seasonally um, influenced and with the sheep you know they have their lambing season and shearing and I, I feel there's a real uh, they really help to connect me to to nature and to those natural rhythms and mm. um, and to the natural world they also help to uh, definitely bring a a bit of that stoicism we were talking about earlier so that um sort of uh i guess sense of hope as mm-hmm. well and um you know we were talking about even in a, a bad year it's not always all bad so within my flock even when there's flock of sheep even when there's challenges um there's always some little joys or little triumphs as well so it's uh, i guess a reminder to remain optimistic and to remain hopeful and positive and 
also to trust in in nature a bit too and in those in those seasons uh, and that things won't always be challenging you know there will be be another day Uh, let's get to the bigger picture stuff. This is really my favorite stuff. The main question the series is trying to explore is, or part of the main question the series is trying to explore is why should consumers care about regenerative agriculture? So I'm asking you as an agriculture producer, why should consumers care about regenerative agriculture? Well, I think we touched on earlier um, a bit about we're all facing a, a global challenge right now with climate change. And I think that Agriculture has a very important role to play in that in that challenge that we're facing. I think that consumers can almost vote with their their dollar, so to speak, and so they have a a, a power in it as well. Yeah. And I think it's something that we're we're all facing. We all need to be aware of and be consuming in ways and producing in ways that are uh, mitigating climate change. I, first and foremost. So uh, I think that's the number one reason to care um, for me. Number two would be product quality, I think, as well. So I I do find that I myself tend to uh, enjoy products that are, are made in this way. The sort of follow-up to that is like, why should, and I'm being a bit facetious when I say this too, like, why do consumers need to support agriculture producers that practice regenerative agriculture why should they like why can't producers just go transition on their own why do consumers need to support them in this well you know the one of the first parts of sustainability is financial sustainability and it's handy um producers (laughs) you know we it's expensive to sometimes to farm um responsibly uh and Again, consumers can really support the values that they believe in by consuming products that align with those values. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, as a consumer, you want to make a change and help in this challenge that we have with climate change, um, that's the best way to do it is to find products and producers who share your same set of values and support them. We're really fortunate here in Nova Scotia to have a very uh, loyal local uh, support. So our province uh, is incredibly uh, supportive of of Nova Scotia wine and of local produce and local agriculture as well. So we're really fortunate to live in a community that just naturally embraces local and it's so important because we can't really, you know, we can't do what, what we're doing without uh, without that support. Also related to that one, for, for a consumer that's listening to this right now and like they're hooked, they're like, okay, I want to go out there and support regenerative agriculture. Do you have any recommendations how they could help out with supporting regenerative agriculture in your community, in your province, across the country, across the world? Yeah, I think the Regeneration Canada farm map is a great place to start. (laughs) So um, it's a wonderful tool to find producers near you that, um, that farm regeneratively. The Regeneration Canada farm map is a great tool for consumers and agriculture producers who are looking to be connected with regenerative agriculture producers living in their area. All you need to do is go to regenerationcanada.org, search for farm map, 
And then you just kind of choose your own adventure from there. You can search by agriculture practice, certification, products, even agriculture or food services. Again, here in Nova Scotia, we're super fortunate to have a very robust like farmer's market culture. So I recommend just going to a farmer's market and talking to the producers directly and asking them about, you know, how how they're farming and visiting the farm directly when you can. Here at the winery we have, you know, tours and tasting experiences, so we're always welcoming folks to come and see firsthand these uh, practices and taste the products. So I think connecting, and we're so lucky to live in an age where we are so connected. We have, you know, technology as a tool to do that. So I think uh, you can find a lot of a lot of resources online um, to to connect you directly to farms and find you know producers that again align with with your values and uh, support them that way. There's a a number of courses and things as well here in Nova Scotia. We have a, a local biodynamic farm that does do some workshops. So. There are things like that you can find in your area to go, again, go to the farm and, and see firsthand and, and, uh, and connect with, with the farmer and uh, how they're doing things. So like you as a producer, you don't mind if somebody came up to you in like a farmer's market and started quizzing you and your practices? That, that's something you'd welcome? Yeah, yeah. I, I would. I, yeah. I get excited to, uh, to, to chat about, you know, what, what we're doing. And I think especially... Generally, the farmer's market here anyway, it's a very kind of social type of environment where folks are usually very happy to share knowledge and experiences and their way of, way of doing things. So I find it's a great way to, to connect and, and learn from. I, I would welcome that, yeah. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah. You hear foodies or people who are just like really into the art of producing and preparing food, you hear them talk about the concept of terroir quite often. It's a French term used to describe how the land and environment a product, like a wine, is grown and produced in, impacts an agriculture product's flavor, and gives it other unique characteristics. People who take a lot of pride in their local food culture, they usually talk about terroir. Rachel wasn't kidding either that Nova Scotia has a pretty strong desire and determination to support local food. I actually came across an article from last year, so May of 2023 to be precise. In that article, it said that Nova Scotia has the most farmer's markets per capita in Canada. I asked you why consumers should care about regenerative agriculture, but I'm wondering why do you care about regenerative agriculture? For me, in the context of of our family farm, uh, hearing the stories of you know, the generations that came before me uh, and hearing, you know, them talk about the way that the the land is changing or growing environment is changing. As I look to the future, I realize the importance of, you know, protecting in our environment where we are and bettering the soils for future generations. So really for me, it's for the, for the future. So our own family and our community and and beyond that but it's a yeah it's it's all all about the future i think the fifth generation of lightfoots is lucky to have you yeah hopefully <laughs> so <laughs> do 
Usually I hit people with like kind of the, the deeper questions later on, but you mentioned that you really like connecting people with your product. Mm -hmm. What is it? Why, why is that one of your favorite tasks? What is it that you enjoy about that? I think, well, and it's going back to the name of the winery. So Lightfoot and Wolfville, um, Lightfoot's our family name. Wolfville is the name of the town. So we're at the very heart of what we do, and even in the name that we chose, it's all about connecting people and place. And I think in wine, one of the things I love the most about wine and why I've kind of dedicated my life to working in, in wine so far that could could change a course, mm -hmm. um, I guess, down the road. But um, one of the things I love is that wine has this unique ability to kind of tell a story of a time and place and who was there and, um, you know, the challenges and triumphs of a particular season. And I think it just has this really special, almost like a time capsule or, yeah, like a, a, a conduit of, of, of time and place. Um, and I think uh, for me, what I'm really passionate about is is this local area. I think the, the Annapolis Valley, I'm very fortunate to have grown up here and to live here. It's a very special place. And I love to help kind of connect people to to that and what makes it unique and and special and yeah I think wine is an interesting medium to do that through. Mm. I'd like to think that the Stories of Regeneration podcast series is also a conduit to a time and place. But fair enough, it's not quite the uh, palate sensation that Rachel's wines are. Unless Stories of Regeneration eventually becomes a wine in addition to being a podcast series, a video series, a webinar series, a collection of stories, oh, and, and that book series I keep mentioning. Thanks for listening to part five of Stories of Regeneration. We're going to go from the East Coast in this episode to the West Coast in the next episode, so part six. And in part six, we're talking fruit, diversity, resilience with Aaron Goodard of Snowy Mountain Farm of Costin, BC. Be sure to download and listen. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based organization empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with climate solutions. Rural Roots runs workshops, farm field days, webinars, and participant-driven projects like the Six Gates of Tippy Agriculture Project and the Regenerative Agriculture Lab. We produce a farmer's blog, and of course, as you know, we do this podcast. For more information about us and all the things we do, go to the website, which is www.rr2cs.ca. The rest of the amazing and talented Rural Roots to Climate Solutions team is Shiana Younger, Kristen Mountain, Shelly Seed, Lance Tailfeathers, and Aiden Grind. The podcast is funded by a variety of Alberta-based funders and funders based in other parts of Canada. The Stories of Regeneration project is primarily funded by Agriculture and Agrifoods Canada. The project is led by Regeneration Canada, a fantastic organization that advocates for soil health to mitigate climate change and guarantee a healthy food system. It's a organization that Rural Roots is very proud to partner with. For additional information, videos, blog posts, digital materials about the agriculture producers featured throughout the series, visit regenerationcanada.org. And a big shout out to Antonia, Sarah, Ali, and Paige from Regeneration Canada, and Jean-Marc, Phil, and Obed from the film crew, who worked tirelessly on their Stories of Regeneration project to bring it to life. 
The interview with Rachel was recorded on the Treaties of Peace and Friendship of 1726 lands. My parts of this episode were recorded on Treaty 7 lands and in the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. Happy farming wherever you are in the world. And remember, what's good for the climate is good for the farm. Music